Hey everyone, welcome to Holy Week Devotionals. My name is Dave Tish. This is Monday. For the rest of this week, we're going to be spending some time each day going through the story of Jesus in his final week as we march through the gates of Jerusalem and the triumphal entry on Palm Sunday to the cross. And on Friday, we're going to be celebrating Good Friday and really staring at and reflecting on the beauty, depth, power, and meaning of Jesus' sacrifice. And then on Sunday, we're going to celebrate together on Easter, Jesus' resurrection. Today, we're going to look at a story which is recounted in all four of the Gospels. Um, It's kind of a strange moment. It's tough to make sense of. And so we're going to try to walk, walk through what it might mean using the Bible as our means of understanding it. It's the moment in Matthew 21. I'm going to look at Matthew uh, just because that that gospel seems interesting to me. Um, We're going to look at it. I'm going to read it to you, and then we're going to uh, try to explain the history around the context of this verse. But then we're also going to delve into, um, there's all sorts of hyperlinks within this verse. Jesus makes a couple of Old Testament references, and these are important references for us to understand. So we're going to examine those because they, they shed light onto what this moment means, what Jesus believes he's doing, and what Jesus is trying to call our attention to. Here's how Jesus is, what he's considering what he's doing um, and what he's about. And it also, I think, will lead us to a profound, um, not just appreciation for Jesus, but I think a worship because what Jesus is doing here is pretty exceptional. This moment's called the cleansing of the temple. Sometimes sometimes it's called Jesus at the temple. It's found in Matthew 21. I'm going to read it, and then we're going to get into it. It says, Jesus entered the temple courts and drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the temples of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. And then Jesus says, It is written, he said to them, My house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. And then it says right after that, then the blind and the lame came to Jesus at the temple and he healed them. So a couple of thoughts. First of all, um, we need to talk about the temple. We need to talk about what money changers were and what it means to sell doves. Okay. So here we go. First, the temple. The temple was the center of Jewish religious life, and it was one of the biggest marketplaces and one of the biggest uh, areas um, for the entire city of Jerusalem. What's fascinating about this is this is a high holy day. This is Passover. And so Jews from all over the empire would have come in. Remember, the Jews used to pretty much live in this in this general area. But because of the conquering of the Assyrians and then the Babylonians, then the Greeks, then the Romans, the Jews had been scattered. This word is called diaspora. It means the scattered ones. So the Jews had been scattered all over the empire, which made it particularly difficult for them to engage in what would have been um, communal ritual temple life. You can't go to the temple every day if you live 500 miles away. That just doesn't work. And it's especially hard on this um, this this Passover celebration, which was a huge deal. It was a command to celebrate it because you had to bring an offering. Now, the outline for the offering and what you're supposed to do is in Leviticus. It's in Leviticus chapter 5. Let me read that to you. In Leviticus chapter 5, God tells Moses what the sacrifice is supposed to be for the penalty of sin. And here's what it was. As a penalty for the sin, this is Leviticus chapter 5 verse 6. I'm just going to read it. As a penalty for the sin they've committed, they must bring to the Lord a female lamb or a goat from the flock as a sin offering. And the priest and the priest shall make atonement for them for their sin. 
So every Jewish person, in order to know they are forgiven by God, God has made a way for their guilt to be washed away and for them to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that they have followed the instructions of God and that they are forgiven. This is a huge deal. Guilt is a blinding, crushing weight and God wants it gone. And so he says, here's what you can do. You got to bring a lamb, a female lamb or a goat. But there's a problem. You can't just bring any lamb or goat. You can't bring one that's like super sickly and is going to die because the sacrifice has to be costly. It has to be something that is worthwhile. It has to be something good. And so the lamb can't be blemished. And this is a particular problem for the Jews who are traveling three, four hundred miles away. I mean, you can't bring a lamb all that way and then have it fall and scrape its leg or get nipped at by a dog. And all of a sudden it's blemished because you can't go back home and do that. So what the temple did is they would have animals for sale. And these animals for sale. Now, that, there's nothing wrong with that. That that makes a lot of sense. You can't travel all the way. We've got the lambs for you. You can purchase it at a fair price. But here's what's fascinating about this. Um, God has provided for folks who can't afford to bring a lamb. It says in the very next verse, anyone who cannot afford a lamb is to bring two doves or two young pigeons to the Lord for the penalty for their sin, one for a sin offering and the other for a burnt offering. And what God is saying is, look, look, even if you're not wealthy, even if you're poor, there is a way for you to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you are forgiven by me. And it's by the very, very inexpensive way of two birds. So that's the background for what the sacrifices are. But here's the problem. In the temple, in this giant temple, which was built by Herod, Herod the first, he uh, Herod the first had an incredible insecurity about him. He was both Jewish and Roman, and because he was both, he didn't feel like he was either. He was constantly trying to prove his Jewishness to the Jewish people and his Romanness to the Roman people. He built a whole port city called Caesarea. That's right, he called it Caesarea after Caesar just to suck up. And he also built the largest temple, put so much money into the Jewish temple to make it beautiful. And he built it because he wanted to show the Jewish people that he's truly Jewish. So this is an immense, elaborate, beautiful temple. And the outer court of it was called the court of Gentiles or the court of all nations. And as you entered into, as the Jewish people would enter into this, there were money changers. Now, here's the problem with this. Here's what we have historically. That as the people came to, to get their animals because they can't track an animal that long. You can't bring your, your sacrifice of an unblemished lamb that far. As you came to buy that animal, there were money changers because you couldn't use Roman coin in a Jewish uh, temple because the Roman coins had pagan slogans and they also had a pagan king, which they thought was idolatrous. So you had to exchange your money, but it wasn't a one for one. There was interest sometimes a lot of interest. And as you bought that animal, they wouldn't sell it to you at a fair market price. They would sell it to you at an exorbitant rate. Now, here's where this is interesting. And this is where the text is fascinating to me. What's interesting here is in Matthew 21, Jesus goes not to the place where they had a, um, a money changer and those who are selling lambs. Those are people who are wealthy. He goes to the place where people are selling doves. Now, what are the doves? The doves are for the people who are poor. So here we have money changers and benches of people selling doves to religious pilgrims trying to get right with God and follow the, the, the Jewish law who are being charged exorbitant rates. 
Jesus says this is a den of robbers, of thieves. They are stealing from his people who are just trying to be faithful and follow the the commands of Torah, the commands of God. They're trying to be faithful and these people are taking economic advantage of them. And who are they taking economic advantage of? Not the rich, because where he where, where's this where's the bench? Not for the bench of those selling oxen or or lambs or goats, but doves, the poor people. And Jesus says this should not be so. And then he makes this little reference. He says, you are making it a den of robbers. Now, that's a hyperlink back. That's a phrase that Jesus is saying that you and I probably miss. You think, oh, den of robbers, like den of thieves, like that movie? No. Jesus is basically referencing one verse, counting on his Jewish audience, understanding and having the rest of the context of that verse flow back. It would be like if I said, in West Philadelphia, born and raised all of a sudden, the rest of that song comes flooding back. The context of that song, what that means. You're thinking, oh, he's talking about the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. So that's what that, Jesus is doing that with this Jeremiah 7, this den of robbers. Let me read you what God says in Jeremiah 7, 11. Jeremiah, the prophet, is speaking words of condemnation from God to the Jewish leaders because they are stealing and committing adultery by being greedy. Um, he says, has this house, which bears my name, become a den of robbers to you? I have been watching. And then earlier on, he says, you oppress the foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow. And you, you, it, it, this is, this isn't an anathema to me. This is the temple of the Lord. And if you change your ways, if you really change your ways in your action and deal with each other justly, if you don't oppress the foreigner, your fatherness, then I will let you live in this place. But otherwise, you are just a terrible leader and you, you are breaking the heart of God and I my, my anger burns at you. This is a, a statement where God is against the oppression of those who need protection. This is a, a God being furious. And this is Jesus hinting back at God's fury at economic injustice toward the poorest and most vulnerable, the foreigner, the fatherless, the widow, the poor. Now, this idea of God's protection and his anger at those who unjustly economically oppress those who need protection is all over the Old Testament. I just made a couple of references. It's in Exodus 22, Deuteronomy 24, Deuteronomy 27, Isaiah 1, Isaiah 10, Ezekiel 22, Zechariah 7, Malachi 3, Psalm 94. These are all references where God says you cannot oppress the foreigner, the fatherless, the widow, those who, are, who need protection. You can't do that and call yourself one who is a good shepherd. You can't call yourself a religious leader. Now, what's really interesting to me is why would Jesus do this? Why would Jesus be so mad at some people just for ripping off some poor people. I mean, they're poor after all. Do they even matter? I mean, who cares? You're just taking money from poor people. What's it matter? Well, I find it interesting that there, I mean, obviously this is fascinating to me, but uh, one of the things that's interesting is in Luke 2, um, Jesus is presented by his parents at the temple. Now, Jesus is really, he's eight days old and his parents have to take him to the temple because they're good Jewish folks and they want to follow the, the rites and customs. And it says they take him to the temple, Joseph and Mary do, and there they offer a pair of doves. And why do Mary and Joseph offer a pair of doves at the temple? It's because of Leviticus 5, verse 7. They are poor and they cannot afford a lamb. Jesus is from incredibly poor people. Jesus grew up in poverty. His mom, his dad, 
Mary and Joseph, you know, his earthly mother, his earthly, his earthly father, I mean, um, they are poor. And Jesus burns in anger against anyone who would abuse folks like this, who would take advantage in a temple, in the house of prayer. Not, not just economic injustice, but this is theological injustice. This is people trying to get right with God and trying to follow the temple practices, and they can't because they are being uh, economically taken advantage of. It's interesting, Josephus, the the historian, says that in AD 66, when the temple falls, the rebels that come in to destroy it, actually the first thing they do was burn the records of debt. They thought that this was an unjust, unfair, economically unjust system. And Jesus is saying, you can't do it. So he upsets and drives it out. But the second thing I want to call your attention to, attention to is um, it just as interesting. In Matthew 21, Jesus says, um, not just you have made it a den of robbers, but he's mad because he says, my house will be called a house of prayer. And this is the second thing I want to focus on. This is a reference actually to Isaiah 56, chapter 7. Now, what's fascinating about this verse is it's a prophetic verse from Isaiah about the heart of God. This is words from God to the prophet Isaiah. And this is what this verse says. And it's, again, helpful for us to read and know the whole thing because it explains why Jesus is doing what he's doing. He's referencing this verse to call back the entire um, section or portion of what Isaiah was saying. And this would, of course, been immediate in every Jewish mind, but it's lost sometimes on us because we don't have the same kind of learning. Um, but in Isaiah chapter 56, God says this, Maintain justice. Do what is right. My salvation is close at hand. And then he goes on to say a couple of things. He says, Let no foreigner who is bound to the Lord say, The Lord will surely excuse me from his people. Let no person who is... Uh, disabled. There's called a eunuch. So this is somebody who is physically dis, um, physically disabled. Complain. I am only a dry tree. For this is what the Lord says to the eunuchs, to those who are physically uh, disabled or, or deformed in some way who can't enter into the temple. If you keep my Sabbath, you choose what pleases me and hold fast to my covenant. To them, I will give my temple and its walls. And then later on, he says, and foreigners who bind themselves to the Lord and minister to him, love the name of the Lord, want to be his servants who keep the Sabbath. To them, I will bring to my holy mountain. This is Jesus saying, Listen, I'm quoting this, this, this prophet Isaiah because I want you to know that the heart of God is to bring everyone into the temple because the sign of what it means to be one of God's people is not religiosity, but rather those who love and keep and have their allegiance and who keep the covenant of God, even foreigners even people who aren't Jewish. This is the heart of God. And of course, what Jesus would later do is uh, as he dies on the cross, just a few days later, he would be opening up the kingdom of God and the grace of God to not just Jewish people, but to all people. And this goes back to Genesis. God says to Abraham, you will be um, a blessing to all the nations. And later in, in the end of Matthew and Matthew 28, Jesus says, go into all the nations and make disciples in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. This is the global movement of God. And so why is Jesus so frustrated? This scene is happening in the court of Gentiles or the court of all nations. Do you see, do you see where this is going? This is happening in the court of all nations. This is the closest that people from other countries and other nations, other ethnoses who were not Jewish could get to the, the temple. 
And this place where the foreigners and the people from all the nations can come, it's no longer a house of prayer with theological invitation and worship of Yahweh, but it's a, it's a greedy marketplace. And so for a minute, half an hour, for an hour, Jesus overturns the temple, cha- uh, temple money changers and it's transformed at least for a minute where Jesus is walking. And this is fascinating to me. And what does he do? The very next thing that happens is the blind and the lame, the eunuchs, they come to him at the temple. And how does Jesus receive them? Matthew 21, 14 says he healed them. Jesus is basically saying this temple, it's no longer needed. It was always supposed to point to me and I am the temple. I'm the temple. In Revelation, it says there is no temple. Why is there no temple? Just the blood of the lamb. Jesus is the temple. The temple sacrifices are done when Jesus dies on the cross. He makes sure that not only does no one ever have to pay anything for any sacrifice because he's the one who paid, but that anyone from any nation, any ethnos who is loyal to God, who comes to him, can be accepted now and is in the family of God, including invalids and people who are physically disabled, who have been excluded at the bottom rungs of society, or who are from foreign lands who aren't Jewish. Jesus is opening the grace of God up to everyone and the blind and the lame come to him at the temple and he heals them. In essence, Jesus is saying, I am the temple. It's, I have a dog, his name is Jack-Jack, and sometimes I have a ball in my hand and I throw the ball because I want him to see the ball and go after it. And instead he just stares and looks at my hand that just threw the ball. And I'm like, no, 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 my hand's not the object here. It's, I'm pointing, I'm trying to point to him. Hey, look, Jack-Jack, there's the ball. Instead of looking at the ball, it looks at my finger. This is what some of the religious people are doing. They're looking at the temple, which is pointing at Jesus. Jesus is the object of all the lessons of the temple. And Jesus is saying, don't miss it. I'm walking around, I'm the living temple. So as we enter into this Holy Week, may we be reminded that Jesus is inviting everyone from the poorest of the poor to the richest of the rich, to those from every tribe, nation, and tongue, Jesus has paid the penalty for our sin and beaten death. And this is a universal offer to every person of every tribe and every tongue to come and worship him as king. And it is open and free to all because of the incredible price that Jesus has paid. That is worthy of worship.